Hi, I'm Ian Pringle. This is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we explore the unique challenges of building a successful loyalty strategy for telco and utility companies. To help me with this, I'm joined by two leading experts who both have long careers in loyalty and have hands-on experience of running the Vodafone VeryMe program in the UK. So please welcome Camillo Courtney, the loyalty product owner at VeryMe Rewards at Vodafone. Hi, Camillo. Hi, Ian. And Charlie Hills, Managing Director and Head of Strategy at Mando Connect in London. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Ian. Lovely to see you. No, and thanks for joining us. It's been a long, we've been a long time trying to get this one together for various reasons, but um, thank you for joining us. So firstly, to kick us off, can we give a brief introduction to yourselves and your experience in telco and utility loyalty? Camillo, do you want to kick off with that one? Yeah, sure. Uh, yes, I'm the product manager at Vodafone for loyalty in the UK. Um, been there coming up three years, so mainly looking after the digital experience and, and operations for, for their Very Me Rewards program. Uh, before that, spent about 10 years in travel um, in various loyalty marketing and operational roles at BA and Eurostar. Brilliant. And, uh, and Charlie? Hello, everyone. I'm Charlie Hills. I'm the MD and Head of Strategy at Mando Connect. Uh, we are lucky enough to work with Camillo and the team on Vodafone Very Me. We've been working on that for a few years now. and We look after the rewards um, strategy and execution for the programme um, and work closely um, with the team on kind of all elements of that. I'm lucky enough to have also worked on O2 Priority um, for a number of years. And my agency, we currently also look after Voxy Drop, uh, which is an exciting kind of new disruptor um, to the telco loyalty market. Uh, for aimed at 16 to 24 audience so uh, I'm a big fan of telco loyalty um, and we also work on British gas rewards as well on the uh, utility side of things. Perfect and um, I mean Pringle everyone knows me on the podcast so I mean I have some experience in utilities and telco loyalty given that I was I managed the EDF program with Nectar for four years um, and there got to work very closely with my comrades at their Vodafone who were in the similar, you know, had had a relationship with, with with Nectar for many years. So I think I saw firsthand how a coalition loyalty program can work with uh, utilities and telcos. So uh, and that was over four years. So th- th- but that was some time ago. So moving on, um, what are the particular challenges in telco and utility loyalty? Charlie, would you like to c- kick off on that one? Uh, yeah, I think it's a fascinating sector. It's one of my um, my favourites. And I think kind of as ever with these things, one of the big challenges is also one of the big opportunities. Um, and I think it's about speed, speed to market, speed of change um, in terms of what's happening in the business, what's happening in the market, but also critically in terms of the technological capabilities um, that we are faced with, um, both as opportunities and challenges and how quickly our customers um, change. And I think our, one of the big things that we really try and invest in in Very Me is kind of constantly checking in with our consumers and our members to understand what they want and then adapting very quickly. And, and probably the last two years has seen that um, in kind of, you know, bleak contrast as, as we've moved in and out of lockdowns and, and, you know, the whole market has changed. We've had to be really quick and, and fleet of foot. I think that's one of the biggest challenges, but it's probably one of the things that makes it most exciting as well um, to work on in the loyalty space. And Camilla, you've seen it from a travel side and from telco. What do you think the, the key differences and challenges that way? Well, I, I guess, although they're quite different industries, um, I, I agree with Charlie. I, I mean, telco is so competitive, fast paced. Um, you know, we can't t- take our foot off the pedal. So we're constantly having to think of, of the next thing. Um, we can't just build a loyalty program and expect customers to 
keep coming and visiting every day. So it's a constant challenge in terms of how we engage them. I, I guess that's a slight difference from travel where a program like BA where uh, customers are naturally engaged and travel is such an aspirational thing that it's it's quite easy to keep the engagement I think I think in telco it's it's a it's a it's a lot more difficult um so a challenge for us marketers is to how how we continue doing that I think that goes for both really utilities and telco is it's a it's quite a dry you know it's, it, ultimately it is a commodity it's very difficult to differentiate the core product you have to differentiate the brand and therefore the the, the loyalty program and and how did you guys find it i find that the really tough thing in utilities and 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 telco is that because people are in long-term contracts you're really trying to target the customers who are going to leave so when i was at edf we often talked about building a disloyalty program rather than loyalty program because ultimately, if you reward the people who stay, that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to stop people from leaving. And that's a different that's a different mindset. But ultimately, it leads to, in, in the instances I did, it led to a, quite a difficult proposition. Because rather than delight everyone all the time, we were just trying to not lose people. Mm. I think that's quite an interesting shift, actually, we've seen in the last sort of four or five years in telco and utilities. I think that very much was the mindset um, that we saw kind of across the sector. But I do think it's moved on now, actually. We certainly focus as much on delighting our kind of loyal, engaged and long term customers um, as we do on, um, you know, the ones that that we might see at risk of leaving. And I think there's been some big changes. I think, you know, Sky VIP is quite an interesting, um, you know, smaller program in the telco space, but obviously a massive massive program um, in the market and I think they're sort of their focus on tenure and actually rewarding the people who stay as much as the people who are at risk of leaving kind of was one of those first big markers for where things changed um, but certainly in the programs we work on the, um, the the focus is very much on the members who are loved and engaged as equally if not more so actually than the ones who are at risk of leaving. Now I was just going to say also it's, it's another reason for for us at Vodafone for example that you know it's another selling point for why a customer could choose Vodafone over a competitor so you know you've got price and the, the network but we know rewards are important as well so it's as much as a kind of acquisition lever as a as a retention tool as well yeah and i th- i like the way you said it before Charlie. i think i think the, the the change that i've seen is that the 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 focus from reward to rewards every day or benefits rather than points has has been a really clear clear move in the, in the market i don't know many that are points programs that survive too long in the utility space i think there's, there's been a, a shift away from it i think points programs are often quite complicated and i think a lot of consumers don't want to have to read a kind of 20 page manual just to understand what the program is what the value is what they get and how it how it works so i, I guess for us it was a deliberate um approach to stay away from points Yeah, and I think the simplicity, particularly in in the last sort of two to three years, has really come to the fore in terms of loyalty. We look at a lot of it in terms of our white paper that we publish um, every two years, what the Brits um, want from loyalty. And I think we've seen a big rise in milestone mechanics, in tiered mechanics, um, and in kind of almost subscription models as well, kind of, you know, blurring those lines between loyalty and engagement programs. And actually, we have seen a huge shift. I think Costa is the sort of the most recent 
recent big program um, to announce that it's dumping points and moving back to a milestones model. And obviously M&S and Shell um, have done that too in the kind of the retail space in the last few years. So I think a points program is less well suited to telco where you're not having those small regular spends and you're trying to reward people. I think the kind of the, the mechanics that we've got in the programs like Very Me, where you've got continuous always on rewards um, is a really exciting model and, and how we keep innovating that and keeping it fresh and keeping people engaged every week. Um, VoxyDrop is another really good example. So that's aimed at Gen Z 16 to 24. Um, and we designed that completely it to, to live and breathe how 16 to 24s live and breathe. So it's completely spontaneous. There are absolutely no rules. We don't tell them when drops are coming. We've picked up all the cues from kind of streetwear um, culture. And actually we just drop spontaneous rewards um, into that program. And we've got a really engaged kind of base um, as a result of that. And, uh, and I'm absolutely certain that a points program would have failed to engage that audience um, in the same way that those spontaneous drops do. Yeah, I don't know how spontaneous drops would work quite as well in utilities. I mean, the UK's utility markets are very peculiar in that you can't actually differentiate from one customer to another, which would make surprise and delight quite challenging. I'm sure there could be a way around it if you spoke to a lawyer long enough. but. I think the way we do it is that we have a limited number. So in the same way that Streetwear does it, we drop a limited number of items and it's almost fastest finger first. It's those customers that are most engaged, that are most loyal to the brand, that are looking out for it, that are engaging in social media, that find it first. Um, and that's how we're making sure that we're building real advocacy with that audience. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be appropriate um, in our sector to sort of select the customers that you wanted and um, to surprise and delight in that way. I think we make it very accessible to everyone. It's really interesting what you said there as well, because what we found in what I found in utilities is that what you're trying to do is highlight customers that are likely to leave. So one thing that we found with the Nectar program with, with, with the utility was that originally when we launched, we saw the churn differential be very, very high for customers that were in the program. But actually the churn differential, so what I mean by is the customers that were in the loyalty program churned less than customers that weren't. And what you saw is that did drop over time until it started to become negative. And that's a bit of a challenge. So and what we and, and so the conclusion you could draw from that was be saying, well, why would people in the program be leaving more than the people that don't leave? And what we and, and the conclusion we drew from that was actually we're attracting the ones that are promiscuous or the ones that are likely to read offers and react to offers. So I wonder, Charlie, whether whether aiming at people who are responding is going to make them more loyal because they're probably the ones that were more likely to leave because they are more aware of offers and more aware of the world because in utilities the the most loyal customers ones that don't leave are the ones that don't read anything or go anywhere you know that they're, they're loyal because they're inert does that make sense yeah. And I think cause and effect is something we've debated a lot. It was something I raised when I was at O2 Priority. Are you know are they not leaving? I've not seen a negative impact in any of the programs that I've worked in, which is fantastic. I'm keen to find out more actually what was going on there. But I think that cause and effect between are they loyal because of the program or do they engage with the program because they're loyal is something that we've looked at a number of different ways. We're really lucky. We've got a really smart analytics team um, at Voder and we had an equally brilliant one um, on O2 and Voxy. And actually they've done some very clever um, kind of analytical studies to look at cause and effect with match groups and control groups. Yeah. And actually what we've found consistently across those programs is that the engagement in the loyalty program does have a consistent and long-term positive impact on MPS. And it does have a consistent and long-term impact on churn, which would therefore imply that actually the loyalty program is the cause of the increased loyalty and, and not the effect. But I think we do always keep a really close eye on that. 
Um, and I think we've also got to be really careful in telco about the kind of rewards that you offer. There's another trend at the moment towards sort of market available offers as rewards. We're seeing a lot, a lot of that in the aggregator programs. And I think in telco where your audience is so switched on and so aware of what your other competitor programs are doing, you have to be very careful in that space to make sure that you're really investing as an brand, that the rewards and the experience of the loyalty program are good enough that actually you are rewarding and saying thank you in an appropriate way, not sort of dressing up market available um, offers and rewards. As, as uh, oh, you so you, you, you mean stuff that's genuinely free or genuinely different rather than just taking card-linked offers, re rebadging them and, and other, other, other exactly. approaches? Exactly, and I think that's something in telco that actually, you know, that the kind of the big players do really well, that genuine investment in rewards that people perceive to be rewards and that really show those members how valuable they are. I think that's absolutely critical to get right particularly in a sector that is as competitive as telco yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i think it's um yeah i think it's also important not to just kind of look at the benefit of the program as being to reduce churn obviously that is commercially really important but uh, as, as charlie mentioned also you know driving that mps and you know because it is it, you know it's such a difficult thing to measure what, what the you know the cause and effect as, as charlie said as well but i think it's you know it's it's, it's trying to actually work out what all the other commercial and less commercial benefits of, of the program are and and you know for us it is a huge mps driver um amongst amongst other things no, and, and and so just moving on to where have you seen it work best so um charlie you said you've worked on a number of these so which which programs do you think the yeah so where have you seen it work best I think it's really interesting in terms of where it works best in telco, actually. And it's tricky, obviously, being on agency side because you get we get a really broad view, which is wonderful, actually, of the programs that we work on, but also the programs that we don't. And that partnership we have with YouGov, where we're kind of looking at the UK loyalty landscape all the time, is wonderful because it does give us that impartiality. So I think there are some really good examples um, out there at the in the market at the moment. Um, I'll start with one that we don't work on at the moment, Sky VIP, um, which is a really Really interesting program I love the way they disrupted the rules of loyalty you know we'll reward you the longer you stay not the more valuable you are I think that's been a really interesting program that's working very well and I particularly admire how they blend those high-end money can't buy only sky can um, experiences for the few with then the way they roll it through all the tiers so that actually for the many you get your taster of it so not everyone gets to go to Will Smith's birthday party but everybody gets to see the Will Smith movie I think that's it's a really great program working really well in a way that's really true to their brand and um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say very me I think is another really oh, good go on. example <laughs> but it is it's funny yeah. sitting here that's why we work on it you know it's why we yeah, love working yeah, yeah. with Camillo and the team but I think the way that Vodafone has really invested to understand what people want and how they want it and then kind of continuously innovates to deliver rewards that actually meet those changing and new customer needs what the program did during you know COVID and the lockdowns and how quickly um, we responded to the fact that you know rewards suddenly had to be at home they had to be digital they had to be things you could do with your family was a huge and very sudden change from you know get out there and enjoy the world around you and now obviously as the world unlocks we're moving back to that so I think those are two examples that really stand out for me as, as really good programs doing a really good and differentiated job in the market. And Camillo? Yeah, I mean, um, other than <laughs> bury me, I would say Voxy as well. I mean, obviously, it's still Vodafone. Um, I'm personally not involved in it, so I'm not going to blow my own trumpet. But um, I think it's a really nice example of how, you know, it's a really simple proposition and it's very specific and targeted to that audience. 
and rather than just kind of create something for the sake of creating it it was very much customer driven it's really effective it works really well i think also within vodafone you know we're a big international group and some of our markets have really strong programs so in italy and in turkey for example so we we can benefit from some of those kind of good ideas and that kind of knowledge sharing um and of course what might work in Italy might not necessarily work in the UK but they've got some really good gamification in their program in Turkey it's you know it's a it's a big market it's very much built around kind of day-to-day engagement with partners um so I, I think it's just trying to take some of those examples and apply them to, to our program whilst realizing that not you know, the same approach doesn't necessarily work everywhere. I definitely say around the world, there's so many good, what I've always said and what comes through in lots of these podcasts is we're all wired up together around the world. Human beings are human beings. And actually it's surprising how, how um, similar one one community is to another and one culture is to another. And so if you've got good good things that work in Turkey, it's going to work here. It's going to work in Australia. It's going to work in in South America. You know, I've I've no doubt about that. Um, One thing I think that, that that struck me when you were talk when you were both talking there is I was called by a, by a prospect the other day saying if it, if I had a loyalty program and a telco what sort of returns could I expect and we said it's impossible because I think the ones that work best are the ones that resonate with the brand because if you take O2 priorities or O2 rewards you know that was that's truck and trailer to the brand right you know and 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 you know the O2 still called you know the O2 you know the, the, there's venues called after because it works right and it works for them as a brand and that's how they differentiate and therefore they've got a loyalty program that does that i think where there's a separation or a or tension between the brand and the loyalty program or the brand and the reward um that's where i think it's difficult and I, and that's where i think sky have done a really good job because yes it's a popular loyalty program but quite frankly from not from a brand that people love to hate in the past I mean, I'd love to have some of the sky call me up and tell me otherwise. But, you know, certainly my experience from dealing with their brand was very different from now till till in the past. And I think that's that's down quite a lot to the VIP program and how they've now treated customers than certainly how they treated customers in the past. I mean, do you guys agree about the brand and how it? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, you know, there's there's almost no point in having a loyalty program if you haven't got some of the other fundamentals right so you know good customer service in the case of uh telco a good network um good pricing all all those things and um yeah i guess you know vodafone in the uk has gone through a similar journey bit of a a turnaround in terms of its um customer service and and those kind of things and i think it's a lot easier to have an engaged loyalty uh, audience if you've got all those other building blocks in in place uh, as well yeah, and I think what else has become really important is actually, and this is kind of Camillo's area as well, is actually the user experience of the loyalty program because telco sets the bar really high. You know, the launch of 5G, you have the handset, the constant innovation, the network, the constant kind of quality challenges. I think the user experience of the program has to be second to none. Um, and actually how we work and develop the product and constantly innovate the kind of the UX within it is really key. And I think that's probably one of the areas where the telco programs have led the way and and certainly the newer ones are really kind of pushing the boundaries there Um, so I think that's been sort of naturally linked into that as well yeah I think um you know something we're really focused on so for example you know obviously the the content we've got in the program and the rewards is 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 really important but actually we pay almost as much importance to for example the customer service we offer our our members um from 
the opening hours, uh, how quickly we can deal with with things as as well. So, um, and that's perhaps slightly different to what I've seen in in some of the travel programs I worked in, where you can have a great loyalty program, but it might take you an hour to get through on the phone, or you know the website might not load. And so, yeah, it's it's really important that you've you've got those kind of things in place because I don't, I don't think customers are very patient these days and if you don't no. um if you don't offer a good experience then they'll probably not mm. bother engaging with you and i think tesco is quite a good example of that um i've got a young family i've got two boys so you know we're huge fans of using the tesco club card vouchers for subsidizing dinners out and days out and stuff and the user experience there with the deliberate breaks and the reward redemption as a you know a loyalty expert i find very irritating because you can see where they've broken the journey to kind of assist on the break rates um, and so whilst that's obviously a retail program tesco mobile is kind of wrapped into it and i think you know tesco have also experimented in the past with sort of loyalty programs where they were deliberately almost creating something with a negative customer experience you know view ads and you'll get a cheaper bill and obviously they've, they've dropped those things off now but i think it's really sort of proved that in telco your ux has to be really pretty fantastic to keep people engaged yeah the, i mean the t tesco always had this mantra of, of, of small hurdles and i think it, it, it was effective at cutting off the um the long tail but at the same time you've got to keep testing that about about we talked about this in wallets in the last put in a, in a recent podcast where there's all very well having small hurdles but those hurdles are getting smaller and shorter and shorter and shorter because you know because customers patience wanes and um you've got to walk that tightrope all the time yeah, uh, so let's flip, flip it on the head and say because quite frankly the the history of telco loyalty is strewn with with dinosaurs <laughs> that now no longer exist so what do we what do we think are the are the you know why does it where is it not worked and why who wants to tackle that? None of yours, obviously, Charlie. Yours have all been smashing out. Oh, no, gosh. No, I kind of, we pride ourselves on experimenting. You know, we do what works, but I think the only way you can stay ahead in that kind of consumer space and actually understand is by testing stuff. So testing is a huge um, component of the work that we do. And, and some of it works and we've got it right and some of it doesn't work. And I think that's absolutely critical to loyalty. That's one of those kind of things I think is really important, actually, in today's mentality. You've got to have an, an openness and almost a desire to fail sometimes because you've got to sort of try new types of rewards you've got to try new types of um, ux otherwise i think you can very quickly become a dinosaur i think one of the um the programs that that we watched fail for lack of a better word was threes one two um, which obviously had a huge splash when it was launched um, it obviously closed a couple of years ago now and i think that was a program that made big promises you know weekly offers weekly deals um to its base very quickly made huge promises at the beginning and then very quickly evolved to a to a more monetized platform where actually they were trying to generate revenue within the program potentially at the expense of the consumer experience so i think that's how programs can fail if you don't have a really clear set of objectives up front you know you don't really have a clear view of what you're trying to achieve for the brand and how you're going to add value um that's where you can come a cropper and camilla would you would you say i don't think so yeah i think um i i would have said the one two example as well and um but also just say you know some of the some of the things we've done have 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 kind of failed um you know whether it be individual rewards or particular campaigns or, or things but you know that it's really important that uh, you know you don't want everything to fail obviously but i think um you know you can learn a, a lot from those um and you know it's really important that you know we've taken all that kind of customer feedback and any insight that we get and you know you need some things not to go so well for you to be able to then focus on what 
um, you know, what the right things are, are to do. So, yeah, I don't think every loyalty program is doing everything right and is a roaring success. Um, but I think some of those individual failures kind of in the long term, at least make make the program uh, stronger. Yeah, and I think it's something you said before. Um, the consistent thing I've seen is that if you're too transactional, like in, in, in a retailer it can be very transactional for law to program, and perhaps an airline can be transactional with it. With, with but I think if you're too transactional with a uh, utility or a telco, then good luck to you because customers see through it and you're, you're in the entertainment business really and if you're not entertaining customers then why would they open the app and transactions is a tough way to entertain customers for for, for two years or my, my contract's four years yeah good luck with that um, yeah, absolutely i think that balance of emotional versus rational engagement is increasingly important actually we actually track the um the emotional response of the rewards as part of what we do in very me and actually emotion emotional response is one of the guiding factors that we use in our reward selection um it was quite groundbreaking we put it in about two years ago and actually we've got some really interesting insights from it in terms of the types of emotion that drive kind of maximum engagement for Brits and obviously that's been a huge roller coaster throughout the last two years so it's been a really interesting thing to understand how important that is um, we've got a behavioral science um, division as, as part of WPP and they've done some fascinating work looking at the kind of things that influence product choice and, and we're looking at learnings from that and how we can then apply that to reward choice I've got a personal hypothesis that the kind of the color of the image and actually how we present the reward image. Camilla's heard me talk about this far too often, but actually how we present that image is probably as important as what the reward is about how it makes people feel and how we can adapt and personalize that. So how somebody such as myself with a, you know, a young family might respond differently to a reward that's positioned differently to say an empty nester if we're using kind of classic sort of old life stage segmentation. So I think there's a lot in that. Um, I think the other area as well that, that programs can fail is by not looking ahead, which is linked, I think, to that that culture of failure is OK. Sometimes I think you have to look ahead and see what's coming. I think any program in any sector that's not looking at corporate social responsibility and sustainability in its broadest sense at the moment should probably get a kick um, because I think you know that is such a hot topic globally it's such a hot topic in every industry and I think loyalty programs for a while have, have sat back and gone actually that's not something that we can contribute to but I think we absolutely need to and I think that will be the biggest thing that changes over the next kind of two to three years you know an active role um, in promoting sustainable behaviors I, I do agree with that although in your own survey you know if you look at what um you know charities and and in, environmental it was down at 22 24 you know so so customers still love rewards they, and your own survey said well and they, they quite like it to be sustainable but that's not that's not <laughs> doesn't really float the boat but it's important from a brand's perspective to be that way and to be and to be authentic that way but i don't think it resonates with customers as much as we hope it would yeah i think it'll be interesting to see actually so that last white paper was done in 2020 just before the kind of the pandemic we actually launched it about three weeks before the first lockdown um which was a really kind of interesting timing for doing it. and i think what we've seen across all the programs that we work in intel co and in the other sectors is a significant rise in the emotional impact and perceived importance of sustainability and charity and i think that's a trend that's only going to go up what we haven't yet seen as you say Ian, is a significant behavioral shift so we haven't seen a significant increase in uptake of rewards that are 
directly about sustainability and charity versus rewards for me. But I believe that's changing too. When you look at two of the new big programs that have just launched, so Costa um, and Brewdog, they've both got sustainability baked in as behaviours that they reward. So, you know, the Costa program is almost twice as rewarding if you reuse your own cup. Um, Planet Brewdog, um, you know, they're planting trees. I believe it's every case that you buy. So I think the the stretch that loyalty programs will will need to make in that space is going to change a lot actually you know, rewarding sustainable behaviors as well as just offering what we would have done a few years ago about charitable rewards yeah and i think when you when you do things that you give away it works really well so one of the things we did when i was uh, with nectar was we said you can give these points to charity and and i thought this is never going to work because why would customers who give stuff to charity not get it for themselves maybe it says more about me than uh <laughs> but anyway um the customers that did did give their points to charity rather than take them themselves the churn rate was half that to the customers that were taking them for themselves so you know i, I think there's definitely something in it and i think we should be exploring it more I just think it's a it's an interesting dynamic. I think it's part of the mix rather than the whole the whole reward. Yeah, we had uh, at Eurostar one of our points redemption was um, we worked with the World Land Trust, and you could use your points to buy well not buy, but you, you effectively supporting an area of land in in parts of South America, and it was it was actually a really popular redemption choice because I think people realised that it was in a very small way they could be helping the environment and helping a charitable cause and when you're sat on you know hundreds of thousands of points then why not you know use some but yeah by no means it was the most popular I think people are still you know a bit selfish about their hard-earned points and the value they get from a loyalty program so um yeah it'll be interesting to see how that changes over time uh, a great, great example um so just to um just to finish off tonight, what are the three things you if you turn the clock back to before you were in your jobs now? What are the three things you wish you'd knew before you knew now? So uh, Camilla, do you want to go first? You on that one? Yeah, I guess um probably kind of understanding who who you're competing against. Obviously, you know for Vodafone, our competitors are clear in the UK, but actually as a loyalty program, we're not just competing with O2. We're competing with you know every app on your phone. So. Revolut, Top Cashback, uh, Virgin Red, it, it's kind of, the list is endless. So it's it's really approaching it with, you know, trying to work out who you're up against and what you need to do to, to stand out from those. Um, I think secondly is just because you build a program doesn't mean people will come. It's really a constant daily challenge to keep people engaged with the program. Uh, and then thirdly, just that, you know, it's not necessarily one size fits all, even for our own customer base. Uh, you know, Charlie talked about VoxyDrop as a really great example. We could have just went about, uh, gone about uh, implementing very me for every segment, but actually that wouldn't have been the right thing to do. And it's important to actually take a step back and think, is this the right program for this set of customers? So, so yeah, I think those those are the main things for me, at least. I think it's really interesting what you said about the your first one there because when I worked with Andrew Swaffield and now was at Avios and now at Virgin, his he used to always say the biggest the biggest competitor to us is apathy. It's not other loyalty programs. It's just apathy. If people get bored of your program or bored of loyalty or bored, that's when they're they're gone. You know, and yep. it's, he's so right. That's one of the main reasons we see in research. Why why haven't you been recently? Oh, I forgot. 
um, yeah. is you know, a consumer <laughs> expression of apathy and you're like oh we've got such great stuff so yeah, yeah. I think that that constant um, drive to keep people's engagement I think my three things it was quite funny actually I thought it was a great question Ian I was like wow what do I you know what do I know now that I didn't know at the beginning and very little was the answer um, but I think the, some of the things that really stood out to me and that I would kind of take out of it is actually understand what your audience wants and it's not a sexy way to spend your budget it's not looking at data and looking at rewards and looking at what they're interested in what they're passionate about the brands that they follow the way they want to interact is not a sexy way to spend your budget when you're sitting there as a loyalty product owner it's far easier to invest that money in a sexy new promotional gimmick within the app or a new headline reward or a new campaign but i think that would be my kind of fundamental thing would be the one thing i would take out which is invest to understand what people really want and what they really think and do it constantly because it changes all the time um particularly now i don't think we can harken back to research even that we did six months ago the world looks so different um today and particularly in telco where the expectation is you're changing all the time i think so invest to understand what people really want um, and then give it to them. And sometimes that can be hard. I think sitting with a, you know, a senior management team or when you're looking at your budget and you're trying to understand where to, where to spend it as marketeers, it's easy to get bored before your members do. So to, you know, change out that favorite reward that they know that they love or change out that favorite brand that, you know, they love rewards from or change out that mechanic that they're really fond to. And I think it's really hard to sit there and actually be really true to what your audience really wants. Um, Vodafone's a, a great example. It's a mass brand. It's got every different type of person you can humanly imagine in the program. And we've got so many different segmentation models that we look at, you know, from life stage to attitude, to emotion, to all sorts of clever things. Um, and I think it's really important that, that we do that. So that would be my second one, like do it even when it's hard, even when it's something that you're not sure it's gonna work, oh, you I, can uh, see it in the data, do it and try it. I definitely back that up. I mean, when, um, when I was at Air Miles, we had a which then became Avios, the, we knew customers wanted free flights. We knew it, but financially, we, ha we, we, had, this, we had this business case called the, called the abyss, which was like, <laughs> if we do it, it's going to cost us a fortune and we're going to have this abyss. And we had all sorts of different ways. But actually, when we did it, because customers loved it, the abyss never, we moved on from it pretty quickly. It, 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 it wasn't anywhere near as bad as we thought it was going to be because the engagement was there and the, the and, and and actually because we changed the expiry rules at the same time um, to, to to help fill the abyss. Um, that that duality of having giving customers a great thing but then giving them a slight um, that that really worked. And yeah. um, but it was it was hard to do. But you're right. You know, go for the big things yeah. that really cause customers and you've pain. You've got to be really inventive, right? And when something yeah. scares you, it probably means it's the right thing to do. Which sort of neatly segues onto my third one, which is get the business case right and make yeah. sure that the entire <laughs> business is aligned to that business case and those success factors. Because once you've got alignment and a single kind of headline KPI that you're going after, or at maximum two. <laughs> maybe three because everyone sneaks in a third one but one or two kind of leading kpis then actually it's much easier to make decisions i think the programs that we've seen flounder are the programs that have you know a suite of 17 kpis that half of the business is signed up to but the cfo doesn't like but they're going to do it anyway i think you've got to get that unity so it's worth investing up front um, to get that agreement i think that's something you know that, that voda have done really well actually in terms of very me like we have a very clear set of kpis and we all know exactly what we're what we're trying to achieve and mine, mine were, were, were um were similar in that in that you know being very boring i think it's the the three classics of it has to work strategically so it has to be authentic to the brand 
it then has to work functionally. And I think a lot of the time when when things haven't worked, because within within telcos and utilities, they're complicated beasts. So it has to work functionally with how the whole whole organization works. And then finally, it has to work financially because because and be honest with yourself about the KPIs, because I think the ones I've seen not work have not been based on sound financials from the start or financials that would have got through a one pager in a, in a in a in a boardroom but because but it's not but i think even the teams that put them there didn't believe them <laughs> and then funny <laughs> enough two years down the line they yeah. fold up they fold up because of emperor's new clothes but i think um um well thank you very much that's about all we have time for so thank you very much for guests tonight so thank you very much charlie hills and thank, thank you very much camilla courtney and um, if you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag loyalty podcast. And we look forward to your company again soon. So thank you for listening and uh, goodbye. <laughs>